Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Dan. Uh, I'm recording this the day before the election, uh, but we're posting it the day after the election. So as I speak, I have no idea how the election is going to go, but I assume it's going to be stressful. So uh, this podcast is like an antidote to whatever stress you may be feeling about the election. This guy, Colin O'Brady, is just awesome and total. I, this is an overused word, but in his case, absolutely apt, um, inspiring. He is a professional endurance athlete. Check out what he did over the summer. He shattered the world record for the what's called the Explorer's Grand Slam, which means uh, he had to summit the highest peaks on each of the seven continents uh, and then trek to the North and South Poles, which is like totally insane. Uh, he did it in 139 days. And as uh, you, you know, the punchline here, a huge part of what keeps him on task is meditation. And uh, he's got a really interesting practice, a fascinating backstory. I give you Colin O'Brady. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Really Thanks appreciate for having it. me here. You're kind of crazy, which we'll, we'll get into in a minute. Uh, but 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 before we get into the this like the insane stuff you've been doing lately, let's just start with meditation. How did you get into meditation uh, to start with? So I was uh, racing triathlon professionally um, just uh, about five years ago. I want to say 20, 2011. And a friend of mine, she came and saw a triathlon race that I was doing, and she's not an athlete at all. She's a Turkish girl, um, just kind of non not into sports. And she was like, oh you know, it seems like this is a very mental challenge out there. You know, here we are, like, running, super hot day, suffering. And she was like, I think you'd really benefit from meditation. And I was like, okay. Like, so my, I was born on a hippie commune. You know, Bob Marley was playing when I was born, 30 people <laughs> watching my birth type of thing. I mean, like, true hippie commune. So I would say, like, I was around that sort of spiritualism, if you will, but never had meditated a, a single minute in my life. And so my friend Eche, she said, you know, you should, you should do some meditation. I was like, yeah, well, what do you recommend? She was like, you should do a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat. Um, so let's just define what that is. Yeah. Uh, so vi- I think uh, Vipassana actually describes a whole range of meditation techniques, but generally when people use it in this context, they're referring to Goenka retreats. Exactly. So that's a specific style of retreat, 10 days, silent, and they f- start you focusing on the breath, and then they move you to focusing on body sensation. Exactly. Exactly. So... Um, so I decided it was, uh, it was another six months or so till I had an off season with triathlon. Normally I only get a couple, uh, weeks off in the year and all my fellow competitors were like, you train all year long, you race all year long. And the two weeks you get off, you're going to go sit silently, like by yourself and not look at anyone, not talk to them. Yeah. So it's going to be great. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, and so, yeah. So, so what, what was it like? Well, describe to me the, the whole, I've been on silent 10-day retreats before, but never yeah. with Goenka, who is a teacher who's a, an I- Indian guy who's no longer with us, who uh, trained in Burma. Um, what are the rules on this retreat? Yeah, so just to set the scene, I'm my stepdad's gonna is dropping me off, and he says, okay, Colin, I'm just going to stay here in the parking lot for an hour because I've never heard you shut up in your entire life. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the youngest of seven. I'm always bugging my older sisters. He's like, he's like so once you realize it's a terrible idea, I'll, I'll be here to you know drive you home. So he was, he was wrong. Um, but uh, it was great. You know, the, the rules are 
Um, it's pretty strict, sort of 4 a.m. to 9 p.m. schedule. Um, most 4 a.m.? Yeah, they were 4 or 4.30, I can't remember, but it's very early. Um, I've done two of these now, but I can't remember the exact time. But anyways, they get you up early, and it's, uh, yeah, pretty much meditation throughout the entire day. Um, no reading, no writing, no eye contact. Um, no talking. Obviously no talking. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very silent. Men and women are separated. Um, and so, but you pretty much feel like you're in more or less, you know, in, in isolation. Can you talk to, is there a teacher there that you can talk to if you have a question? Yeah. So Goenka, which is interesting, as, as you mentioned, he, you know, uh, originated from Burma and started, you know, sort of facilitating some of these 10 day retreats in the West. Um, best I know it. And I thought this was bizarre. I had no idea before I went to this, but he's on, he's video recorded. Yeah. Yes, like he's, they, he's dead. He passed away, I think two years ago, but yeah. this was, uh, he was actually alive at the time. But I, they, like, throw in the DVD and hit play, and I was like, wait a second. I'm at a meditation retreat. The guy is, like, not even here. And I actually thought that was very strange at first. But I've actually come to realize that I really appreciate it because it's uniform. It's the same every single time. It's not, you know, someone's own interpretation on the teaching here and there, and it kind of gets lost and meandering. Um, so I actually appreciate that it's just, you know, when you go into this, it's, like, it's the same. Um, but... Uh, there is also a teacher there on site so that if you if you do uh, the one thing you can do to sort of break the silence, I suppose, is there's a 30 minute period within the day that you can sign up to ask uh, a, a question. Just, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this with the meditation or I have this question about the practice. Um, but the rest of that is sort of him walking through some of the steps on recording. And uh, they're pretty basic, right? He's only talking for maybe three, four minutes, and then it's, you know, an hour of silence, you know, meditating in the hall, and then maybe another, you know, minute or two of chanting. So it's, uh, it's a lot of quiet time. And so how did it go for you that first time? Um, it was, you know, ups and downs. I think, I think you probably know this as well. You know, you have the maybe potentially those first meditation retreat euphoric moments. And, uh, you know, I experienced that a little bit for sure. Um, more than anything, I, I felt after, after those 10 days coming back, um, Jenna, my fiance and other people in my life really actually, they noticed a difference in me, just a, a calmness, um, uh, I think, yeah, just a, a general level of awareness that I didn't have before. Um, so it was interesting to have other people uh, perceive that. But it was, an, it was an incredible experience, you know, truly, truly changed my perspective. And it was interesting because I had gone into this, like I said, to, oh, I want to be better at, you know, my craft. I want to be, you know, better athlete uh, at the professional level. So I got to master my mind, kind of had this sort of um, athlete perspective on it and sure that that did have some benefits there but really it was a much greater benefit and it's the rest of the aspects of my life we we'll talk about that what do you mean greater as a greater benefit so i mean like i said i think i was like oh you know i i want to be able to push my limits and have this pain tolerance when i'm racing and you know if i can master my mind that's kind of like what i went into it you know like training the mind training the body um and you know more so i think i just felt the difference in my relationships with, you know, silly stuff like, you know, get cut off in traffic, not reacting to it, you know. Having that's to, not silly. Yeah, okay. That's your actual life, man. Yeah, right? Like, that's the day, you know, just day-to-day stuff, yeah. not just um, – and so in the end, that was just much more uh, powerful to me. It was just my sort of daily reactions and uh, what that what that meant to me. You said on that first retreat you had a few um, uh, euphoric moments. What were those like? I think the thing that stood out the most for me was um, – the memories. So I kind of got into this place where um, 
I was reliving memories from my past, but in such vivid detail. Uh, I know I'm trying to be clearing my mind, but um, there were some moments where I would, instead of, it, it made me realize that we often have uh, memories that we think back on, and but something usually jolts us out of those memories. Like, oh yeah, I was a kid. I you know swam in a pool with my friend or something like that. But because of the quietness, after five, six, seven days, I would come to a memory. And I'd be there almost like in a, a wait, you know, a vivid dream or a waking mm-hmm. dream. And I could look around. I could smell everything. I could see everything. And so the realization that all those memories were really deeply imprinted in the brain and that there was a way to access them um, was really powerful for me. I almost felt like I was just like walking through this dream of my, my past uh, in a really interesting way. Did you get back to that Bob Marley moment <laughs> when you were born? I didn't quite get back to that moment, although here was a good party. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Uh, so how did it affect your professional life? Um, I mean, you, just, you just finished something. I, I mentioned insanity before, and so sorry for being judgmental, but it, this thing you just did is crazy. It's called the Explorer's Grand Slam. So I'm going to let you describe what it is and then tell me whether meditation was useful in the in the pursuit of this goal. Yeah, so after racing triathlon professionally for a number of years, I decided I want to sort of raise the bar and go after something even even bigger. As uh, one does, to yeah. push, yeah, push sure. my body. Um, so I... Uh, went to set the world record for the Explorer's Grand Slam. So what that is is to climb the tallest mountain on each of the seven continents, collectively known as the Seven Summits, as well as complete expeditions to both the North and South Pole. So no big deal. Yeah. (laughs) So fewer than 50 people have ever accomplished uh, the Grand Slam, usually in five, ten years. So I have as a legacy project, train for one expedition, go, you know, home. Um, And I completed it in 139 days. Which is a world record. World record, new world record. Um, and also set the world record for the seven summits uh, at the same time as well. So two two world records um, in the, in the course of this, and basically, yeah, 139 days just straight. But didn't you in the summit Kilim- Didn't you summit Kilimanjaro in like 12 hours, which usually takes people weeks? Eleven and a half. Eleven and a half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is this is wild body. Uh, Stretching, pushing, mind, mind, stretching, pushing stuff. You're really pushing the limits For on sure. this stuff. So, did meditation help you in any aspect of this? Absolutely. You know, maybe it's cliche, but this was a bigger mental challenge than it was a physical challenge. I mean, the physical elements are surely there, um, but you know, everyone wants to hear about you know, the, the epic summit day on Everest. And sure, like that, that was a, a big deal. It was a huge push. But 139 days consecutively without really any breaks, you know, day in and day out in these super harsh environments. You know, the average temperature when I was going to the North and South Pole was minus 40 degrees. To give some perspective on that, um, best way to describe it is I actually could get out of my tent with a cup of boiling water and throw that in the air and it would Im- immediately turn into ice. So wow. like, that's how cold minus 40 degrees is. So you're dragging a you know 150-pound sled behind you with your gear in it, sensory deprivation in Antarctica because you've got you know basically nothing on the horizon other than white, and you're just walking day, you know, hour after hour, By day yourself? after day. Uh, there I was with three other people. Um, so, yeah, uh, each expedition was a little bit different. Some I was alone. Some I was with different, different friends and whatnot. But... Um, it's just that that mental that mental uh, determination to keep going under those circumstances is uh, and pretty intense. I think that the meditation 
helped me throughout all of that. You know, in the moments, you know, there was frightful moments, you know, being up caught really high on Everest in a big storm that I eventually had to retreat from, you know, in a place where in Camp 4 on Everest where a lot of people have died historically to, you know, just kind of calm myself down, go within myself, you know, figure out what the best thing to do. Um, So I think that 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 calmness was huge. But then, yeah, these long days, these long stretches, uh, almost feel like a walking meditation more than anything. Um, I was it, just going to ask that. Could you yeah. use – because I, there, your mind can go crazy in those situations. For you sure. can get bored. You can you can get discouraged. Could you use it as a way to just hone in on the sort of micro sensations of, to be a little cliche, the present moment and and uh, use that as a, almost like a survival tech tactic? Absolutely. I mean, I actually felt um, – Similar to a a, a longer meditation retreat, in my experience, you know, the first couple days you're kind of breaking some habit patterns of your day-to-day hustle and bustle. And then once you kind of can calm down, calm the mind down, at least for me, I feel that I can really get into that rhythm and that, you know, in a 10-day retreat, you know, almost – day one to day three is a a longer segment than day three to day 10. Yeah, because you're in rebellion mentally. Yeah. Um, And so I felt similar. You know, going to the polls was the same thing. You know, the first day or two, you're kind of finding your rhythm, finding your routine. Um, And once you kind of settle into it, I felt like, you know, it just kind of flowed day after day because not only was the walking very repetitive and there was no sensory input, you know, just looking at this white abyss essentially, um, but every day is the same. So in Antarctica, the stunt sun is up 24 hours a day. You know, the sun's directly overhead. It's high noon just the whole time. So there's really no variance in what's happening. So what ends up happening is you have this cycle to the day of just this sort of repetition. Like I get up, I turn the stove on, I pack my sleeping bag, I pack my tent, that goes my sled, I walk for 10 hours, it's minus 40. Then I get in, I, you know, thaw my you know, gloves out, you know, just... It's uh, almost it sounds boring, but also really powerful to get into this sort of repetitive cycle with that. And certainly if you didn't, I think for myself, if I didn't have that, you know, background in meditation, background in mindfulness and awareness, that that could also drive you crazy because it's just, you know, complete deprivation, no one to talk to, no one, nothing to see. Um, But with not resisting that urge out there and really kind of getting into that mentality um i thought was some of the most interesting things of this whole entire project was getting into that almost flow state uh in the even though it's not sitting on a mat with my eyes closed but a sort of walking meditation if you will i know no better word for it i guess i think it's great i think you picked the exact right words and it does hammer home a point that i'm still learning all the time which is that meditation shouldn't really be about the precious sacred moments when you're on the cushion it should be it's training for the rest of your life and so you're actually really just putting it into into action um which is amazing in ways that most of us will never ever get to do what about pain tolerance though you know one of the biggest things that that happened in my life before i was introduced to meditation in 2008 i was severely burned in a fire um i was in thailand uh, being a knucklehead kid, jumping a flaming jump rope, caught myself on fire. Flaming and, jump rope, which is a thing they do on the beach yes, there, exactly. like in the middle of the night. Usually yes. people are a little hammered. When yeah, they, believe yeah. it or not, I wasn't. That, that was probably the one night I wasn't on that trip, but uh, I wasn't, believe it or not. But, yes, so anyways, that, you know, long story short, you know, severely burned, 25% of my body, mostly legs and feet. Doctor told me, hey, you may never walk again normally. You know, there's a cat running around my bed in the ICU for a week of surgery. It's just a really pretty horrible uh, set of circumstances. You mean it was not a hygienic hospital? I was in a, th- yeah, in Bangkok, great, great, uh, 
uh, healthcare facilities, but it wasn't eight days till I could get there. So I was in a very rural part of Thailand um, that just had you know the bare bone basics. So this wasn't a comfort cat. This was a no. uh, this was a stray cat. A stray cat yeah. in the ICU, kind Ooh. of like and you know with burns, infection is kind of the the highest uh, problem uh, of. Uh, so, anyways, um, that certainly not something I would ever want to go through. Wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. You know, took me over a year to even you know really walk again, run again, all those types of things. Fortunately, I did recover and have been able to do, uh, you know, professional sport. But it also recalibrated my pain tolerance. Hmm. It, it, you know, I don't know what what it is about the mind, but we operate in these extremes, I think, sometimes. So when I was out there, you know, climbing Mount Everest, when I was out there, you know, pulling a sled through minus 40 degrees, you know, other, you know, racing triathlon after that, it was always this, wow, this hurts. My body wants us to stop. But you know what? I felt worse. You know, I've, I've had worse uh, things experienced. So there's always this sort of higher pain threshold. And I think that a combination of that sort of framework with the burn accident and now in combination with a meditation practice over the last five years has allowed me to have really a lot of, you know, power over my mind in terms of being able to push a little bit further. You know, our mind, I think, in terms of pain, at least in my experience, you know, wants to shut us down a lot sooner than, you know, we really need to be. Uh, you know, you're, you're out of breath. Oh, I, I should stop running, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But really, like, we have a capacity to push well beyond that. And so to kind of override that with our mind, I think, is uh, really important. But how do you know when you're pushing so far that you're going to get hurt? Yeah, yeah. And definitely, definitely knowing your limits. You know, I've, um, you know, through racing, through training, I've, I've made that mistake. You know, I've, I've overtrained myself. Uh, in 2012, I had to take about six months off from racing triathlon because I uh, ended up in the hospital with them telling me my testosterone levels were that of a 92-year-old man. I mean, I had just kind of crushed my body. No acute injuries, but just like my, you know, entire body's endorphins and whatnot had just kind of shut down on me from pushing, pushing beyond that. Um, but also a valuable lesson in terms of calibration, in terms of, you know, f- figuring out my limits and having sort of the emotional and physical cues to do that. And like, even that failure, I think, led to ultimately my success in this world record to be able to manage that over 139 days in these extreme conditions was the ability to sort of regulate, you know, pushing when I needed to, recovering when I needed to, and finding that balance. It's interesting. that you, I never thought about pain tolerance as like a trainable thing before. I mean, to me, the headline of meditation is that the mind is trainable. You know, we know the body's trainable, but the, the meditation, which for so long has been written off as this kind of fringy thing, um, now the science is showing us that the mind is trainable. These traits that we don't, may not like about ourselves, impatience, lack of compassion, um, uh, emotional reactivity, we can train these things, and that's amazing. I never really, I never really thought about pain tolerance. I mean, I, I've watched... I, I have a terrible pain tolerance. I mean, I've watched my wife go through childbirth and then surgeries for breast cancer and reconstruction and all this stuff, and she handles it just incredibly well. And I can't even get a flu shot, you know. Um, so, but but this is an interesting. I'm not that I'm in the market for more pain, but the it is an interesting thing to think about that you could train this too. Well, it's, I, I think childbirth is a great example, which is you know I w- I have never experienced that, um, uh, but it's something that certainly is this incredible physical thing that clearly the human body, at least the female human body, is capable of going going through and surviving and thriving afterwards. And I think the only thing I could equate that to for me is the burn, not something that I would have ever wanted to go through, but that was sort of cast upon me. Um, 
but it's not in, to get through to the other side of that you realize like oh this is possible so we have these barriers and i think you know women through through childbirth i mean stronger than i could possibly ever imagine i mean they're, they're, it's unimaginable for me to you know go through something like that but it just goes to show our, our minds are very capable of you know handling that our bodies are very capable of handling that and uh you know it's a, it's a weird thing like you said can you train for it i don't know i don't think i'd want to like just go under pain just so i could train for that but, but your training is painful right yeah absolutely it is it is no doubt which so leads sure. me to which leads me to my question why are you doing this why i mean i get i guess i, I guess i get that you why somebody want to be a triathlete um but then taking it to the next level I mean, let me just take that back. I don't get why anybody would want to be a triathlete, really. I mean, what is driving you to do this? And then why then try to set this Explorers Grand Slam world record? You know, I've always I've always been an athlete. You know, I swam through college. You know, I love love sports and I love pushing my body. So um, all of these, I think, have been some iteration of the, the five, five-year-old boy inside of me that always wanted to compete and do well in sports. Um, but also, I think as I've gotten older um, – you know, racing triathlon was wonderful, but it was also really, you know, competitive on the race course, shoulder to shoulder with the next guy. What's your world ranking? How did you win this race? You lose this race. And I've had, you know, I've had my fair share of successes. I've had my fair share of, you know, failures on the, you know, the the professional world stage. Um, But I, what I finally found was that I was more interested, at least as I got older, I'm 31 years old now, um, in finding my own personal limits, you know, pushing my own personal limits. So although this mountaineering project, I was out there, you know, going after a world record. Technically, I was racing another guy, but the guy's record who I was racing was from four or five years previously. It wasn't as if I was like shoulder to shoulder with the guy who I was um, trying to break his record. But it was about finding my own personal, you know, levels, pushing my own personal limits. Um, and I think just like with a meditation practice, it's the same thing. You know, you don't just go, I've got it now. You know, I oh, all right, I've meditated. I understand meditation. Now, even for you, like you said, it's just always a constant evolution of that. And I find with pushing my body, at least for me, is a way to access amazing parts of my mind. There's a, a, a clip of me that I like to show sometimes when I'm public speaking, and it's me summiting uh, Aconcagua, which is the tallest mountain in South America. And it was the third mountain uh, on this entire project, and at the time, uh, the tallest mountain I'd ever climbed. And I ended up climbing that mountain completely alone um, for various reasons. My climbing partner couldn't be there with me. And I'm on top of this mountain just crying, sobbing. Um, I've got a, I'm talking to my own GoPro, so I'm talking to myself to record this because I was trying to record and share most of this project with the world. Um, but it's this very vulnerable moment of euphoria, tears, all the people that helped and supported me. I flash back in my mind to the burn accident and sort of all the setbacks that I've gone through. And so for me anyways, pushing my body to this extreme ways can unlock these moments like that that I find to be incredibly special incredibly valuable um, and you know sure it goes through a lot of pain and a lot of toil and a lot of hardship and hanging out in minus 40 degrees day in and day out like I'll be honest isn't particularly fun most of the time um, but there's something about it that it really unlocks inside of me that is uh, powerful and meaningful you can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% 
versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it. But already, I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. So let me ask you a tough question. Uh, you know, so, so Goenka is, he was trained in a Buddhist um, context, but he actually teaches in a secular context. Yep. But I, So I, I don't know how much uh, traditional Buddhism he infuses into his teachings, but in Buddhism, there's a there's a big focus on impermanence. Everything changes. Yep. Nothing lasts. So the body that you are rightfully very proud of right now is going to fall apart. Absolutely. Nobody gets out of here alive. Yep. <laughs> and um, somebody's going to beat your world record someday. Absolutely. How are you going to handle those eventualities? And what are you going to do for, you know, when you, you don't have access to this finely honed, well-trained body in the way that you do now, what are you going to do for the kind of meaning that you're now deriving? You know, I think that that will potentially be a challenge for me. I'm not not to say I'm sitting here and I'm above and beyond that. But what I will say is that it's been amazing to have the opportunity to set this world record this year, these two world records. And that's not a culmination of one or two years of work. That's a culmination of my entire life that started when I was a five-year-old kid jumping in a swimming pool and culminated with me, you know, summoning Denali a few months ago, setting two world records. All of those things, all of those athleticism and ups and downs have, have fueled that. Um, and it's amazing. And I understand, obviously, I'm, I'm aware, as you've said, that that's time limited, that I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the peak endurance age. You know, if you look at elite marathoners, elite triathletes, you know, climbers, whatnot, that there's some of this peak age, late 20s, early 30s, you know, maybe you can stretch it out a few more years. I'm still feeling great. There might be a couple, you know, a couple more, you know, things in the tank. But ultimately, I'm, you know, kind of on the downside of that parabola pretty soon. Right. But what I've realized, at least that I hope is that my measuring stick isn't always the world record or being the best guy. Yeah, records are made to be broken. I love sport, and what's great about sport is we're constantly breaking barriers. You know, the four-minute mile, the 10-minute or the 10-second 100-meter dash, you know, all of these things thought once impossible, um, people have shattered them. And so will my record will go down at some point as well, I'm sure. But my hope is that 
I will obviously be able to find my best self. So my best 40-year-old or 50-year-old or 60-year-old self might not be, you know, up to par against my 31-year-old self right now. Um, but that's okay with me as long as I'm finding the depth of who I am. And I don't mean that just through sport, but I mean that through the evolution of life. There will be probably, at least I hope, some more wisdom, mindfulness, awareness that comes out of, you know, you know, aging through and having my body change. And I think that, that that mantra people have asked me, people, you know, outside of the meditation context have asked me, you know, you know, how did you get through these hard moments and these climbing these mountains? How did you do this? And honestly, that mantra, this too will change, uh, is really powerful. That's a big part of what I've driven, you know, drawn strength on is is that impermanence that you're out there in this horrible situation you're on a, you know a snowstorm and wherever and it's freezing cold and you're scared and you're away from home and you're thinking god you know it'd just be nice to be back in my bed at home and you're thinking at some point i will be like this too will change i won't be out here forever well that's the upside of impermanence no question yeah, about it sure. i mean and it's useful for me when i'm meditating and i'm uncomfortable or i'm in a conversation that's uncomfortable not with you but you know <laughs> uh, in interpersonal relationships this too shall pass is very comforting but I'm, I remember being 31. I'm 45 now. My shoulders jacked up. My knees jacked up. Uh, I, I have more stuff going on around my belly than I would prefer. <laughs> There's less stuff going on around my hairline than I would prefer. And so I can't control any of this, and it, and it sucks. And so I just wonder, I mean, it's a very powerful thing to look at this stuff, though. Yeah, yeah it's a very powerful thing because... It is the truth, not capital T, dogmatic, religious truth. It is just true. Right. So I feel that I don't, I don't know if I can put it into words, but I feel like there's a real power at sta- of in staring at that. I don't know if anything that I've just said resonates with you no, at I, all. No, I think that resonates with me as well. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I'm not above having my ups and downs, right? I think that at some point when I transition away and, or my body isn't quite what it is, there's going to be some hard moments, sure. Like I... I don't want to say I take for granted being in great shape or having set these world records. I know how much work has gone into it. But, like, yeah, that's the framework. That's the context that my life has looked like for, you know, decades of being, you know, an elite athlete. And at some point that won't be the case. And that transition will certainly be hard, no doubt. But I hope that, you know, I've seen that play out with other athletes that haven't had an awareness or haven't had a mindfulness about them or haven't really thought through those things. And that when that escapes them, they have no way or framework for dealing with that. Um, Again, I don't think that I'm above and beyond having my dark moments, and I'm sure those will come. But my hope would be that because of, you know, I think meditation, awareness, mindfulness, all of those things allows me to go through the phases of life, allows me to react to things just a little bit softer, a little bit more gentle. Um, And like you said, having stared that in the face, having actually, you know, have you asked me that question and think about that's not the first time I've thought about it, you know, to internalize that and understand about that impermanence as we go through life and not be holding on to God, that year when I was 31 in 2016, I set that record. That was the pinnacle for me. You know, I sure hope that's not the pinnacle of my life. I hope that there'll be many other, you know, exciting moments and ups and downs and different creative ways to express myself. I'm optimistic on your behalf, just for the record. I like it. Um, <laughs> so so uh, you, you've done two of these 10-day retreats. Do you have a daily meditation practice, or are you just kind of like extreme about meditation? You just, you're only doing it on retreat. No, no. I mean, I, I definitely get a lot from the retreats. I think that that is, is valuable, and I, I just signed up for it will be my third in, in December, so I'm looking forward. It's been a few years since I've done that. So um, I always find, for me, that's like a good, strong reset button, um, but none of that – 
is particularly meaningful, I don't think, without a daily practice, at least for myself. Um, that said, at the end of a Gwenka retreat, he says, okay, it's very easy. You've been doing this 17 hours a day of meditation, so all you need to do in your daily life is one hour in the morning, one hour at night, no big deal. And I'll be honest, you know, I've, I've left some of his retreats like very like, yeah, yeah, that's easy, whatever. And I can maybe hold on to it for a week or two weeks. And then all of a sudden, two, finding two hours in my day seems nearly impossible. Um, uh, maybe that's just an excuse. I don't know. But my daily practice is is shorter than that, you know, quite honestly. Um, it's uh, more more in the, you know, 15 to 20, 30 minute range. Um, that's not nothing, man. Yeah. And it it. uh I find the morning works best for me in terms of that's the I'm most in control of my day, but that also ebbs and flows. You know, I, I travel a lot. I'm on different time zones. I'm on early flights, you know, things like that very frequently. And so sometimes I'll find, oh, this month the, the evening was working better for me. Or there's times when, you know, a few days or even a few weeks I'll go by and I haven't really checked in with with that daily practice. So, you know, I, I, I think I'm definitely would consider myself pretty committed and have a pretty regular practice but then i have my moments where where i miss it but then i notice you know i pick up on that i'm like wait what, what's oh yeah right like i'm missing that that piece of this yeah why am i cra- why am yeah. i uh snapping at people today right, right et cetera. Et cetera. right so yeah daily practice is huge but mine's pretty simple yeah everybody f- falls off the wagon the th- just as when you're on the cushion and you're actually meditating the rule is you're going to get distracted a million times. The whole game is just to start again. Yep. It's the same thing with your meditation practice writ large. You're going to fall off the wagon. Totally cool. Nothing's been lost. You can just start again, and you're not like starting from some sort of crazy deficit. Um, having said all of that, just, just walk me through, just out of curiosity, what you, when you sit down for your daily practice when you're doing it, what is the practice for you? Yeah, I, I actually... Um, I actually read your book a few years ago before knowing that I would be invited on your podcast, so it's fun to be here. And the the person who gave me the po- the book actually was my stepdad, the same one who was very skeptical about me going to the first meditation. The dude in the parking lot, yeah. being like, "Yo, you know, this is this is not going to work out for you. I'll pick you up." And then it was the first, you know, that got through to him being a skeptic, just kind of like, "Okay, ten percent happier. That's cool." Um, but what I liked about that was just that at least it seems like you dove into a lot of different types of meditation from, you know, the Vipassanas, the different retreats to just kind of seeing it through a bunch of different angles. Um, and perfectly honest for me, I've really only experienced, you know, this Vipassana meditation only because that was the first kind of thing thrown at me. Like, Hey, you should try this out. I did it. And it had some impact in my life. Um, and so my, you know, daily practice is along those lines. It's kind of a, you know, like you said, kind of coming coming to breath. Um, and sometimes it's just coming to breath. You know, in 10, 15 minutes, I, you know, can't get more focused than just that. Um, and then on other times when I'm in, I feel like more of a rhythm, I can kind of do that body scan and, you know, awareness of the sensations of the body up and down. Um, but I would say I have a curiosity about sort of expanding that, expanding sort of uh, what, you know, maybe, I don't know, I don't even know what that is, but the sort of other sort of avenues of meditation beyond sort of what my daily, you know, norm is, I guess, at this point. Do you think that that's valuable or what, from your perspective? Well, I just want to say, first of all, I'm not a teacher and I'm not an expert. Right. I've only been doing this for about seven years. Yeah. So, like, you should take what I say with a grain of salt, but so I'm giving yeah, yeah. it to you anyway. I think what you're doing sounds great. Yeah. And I wouldn't worry about changing it. Okay. That's personally my advice. Yeah. I think this is a great practice. Goenka is a massively respected and deservedly respected teacher he's taught you a really simple practice that you don't have to stress about or worry about you've got it so go for it and it's showing benefits i you know do the same practice that i was taught many years ago and and uh i do 
I have experimented a little bit, but um, I find my my gut instinct, and I'm speaking for myself here, is that if you experiment too much, if I experiment too much, I can it can create a lot of doubt in my mind. Okay, what am I doing now? Uh, right. what, 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 is this better than the last thing? Uh, and the people I know who've done the most ex- uh, successful experimentation have a firm grounding in one technique for a long time. And then once they've got that base, it's a little bit like art, you know, like modern art, which looks kind of crazy and uh, they're like there are no rules. A lot of those modern artists have classical training. Right. And so to me, I'm not sure that's a perfect analogy, but that seems to be the M.O. of a lot of um, – meditation adepts that i've met yeah yeah no that's interesting and it's almost just the you know whether for some it's yoga whether for others it's you know their morning run whether it's you know sitting on the cushion and meditating i guess just having that sort of daily commitment to something is a is an outlet in itself regardless of what the actual you know what you're thinking about what the true focus is of that you know even a slight variation so yeah I'll stick with it. Thanks for the advice. Please do, and it's my pleasure. And again, take that advice with a grain of salt because I'm just a regular schmo. So I want to make an observation, then I want to ask you another question. The observation is, and I was glad you said this earlier because I I think it's cool, is that when you were having moments of real emotional peak experiences during your exploits, one of the things that came to you was this gratitude for all these people who have helped you. And I just want to point out you're here today with – your um, fiance Jenna, yes. who um, I had a chance to meet very, very briefly, but she, you know, th- this this um, this grand slam that you just completed required an enormous amount of logistical work. You know, getting you, you know, getting teams together for the various um, uh, hikes um, and getting you on planes and making sure you every the trains are running on time, et cetera, et cetera. And she, from what I understand, she was really honchoing that. So, oh, absolutely. This is uh, this is not a one man show by any means. Uh, you know, we dreamed up this world record together. Uh, she had been you know, out with me on the triathlon world for many years, supporting me doing that. And then when we kind of had this dream of doing this, uh, so much of what we wanted to do with this project wasn't just about me setting this world record, but it was a whole charitable campaign around getting kids excited, inspired to get outside, not necessarily climb Mount Everest, but to, uh, you know, get outside, be outside, inspired, set big goals and dream big. So, you know, Jenna ran everything from the logistics of all this to get to all those places took, you know, over a year plus of just the planning of, you know, how do you figure out, you know, how to get the food, you know, in Africa a week after you've been in Argentina to fly to Nepal, you know, just the, you know, crazy crazy logistics um and you know she was amazing in that um and just so much support yeah definitely you know there's times you know very scared and some of these climbs where i had you know called home you know what should i do i'm up on everest there's a storm you know and to have that you know voice on the end of a crackly satellite phone just sending me love and support was also huge so she wore the hat of you know taskmaster and logistics coordinator as well as you know just my fiance and you know my love of my life and support system so definitely so much gratitude for that and in these peak moments for sure that definitely came out um you know one of the other things that really stood out for me in terms of along the same lines was you know my hope was with this project was to you know put some inspiration in the world you know we had a lot of kids you know from around the country following along via social media uh, and you know i kind of was like oh i hope to inspire them to one day you know set big goals and dream big but the of course, our irony to that was that when I was out there, you know, climbing these mountains, they had sent me all these messages that said, hey, Colin, you know, 
your Everest is you're climbing Everest right now, but my Mount Everest is to be the first person in my family to graduate from college. Mm. You know, my Mount Everest is to make sure the snow leopards are off the endangered species list. Mm. You know, just these amazingly heartfelt and warm things. And the fact that they were out there kind of cheering me on ultimately inspired the heck out of me. You know, when I had these really tough moments, I had so much gratitude. Um, you know, I was I was hoping to, I guess, do something for them. But in the end, that they really, I got so much strength from the, the love that they were shining, you know, my way. So it was an, an amazing sort of reciprocity in that way. That's awesome. So uh, shout out to Jenna, who, as I understand, is herself an experienced mountaineer. And shout out to kids and shout out to snow leopards. <laughs> Nobody does anything alone. I just, um, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think it's very cool. So that was my observation. My question is, what is your next trick? Yeah, no, it's uh it's a it is a good question. Definitely um I think that I will always be wanting to push my body and explore. You know, that said, you know, touching on what you said before, one, I can't always keep wanting up myself like you said father time will at some point, you know, say enough, uh, you know, as as I get older. Um, but even while I'm still in in peak shape is, you know, I've asked myself, you know, I've sat with myself even, you know, in in my practice and said is you know, is my goal to just keep one-upping myself? Is it always the next harder, crazier, you know, thing, you know? And no. I mean, the answer is no. Um, and, and I don't say no like, oh, I'm going to kick my feet up and just talk about this experience for the rest of my life. You know, that's also not, um, you know, what I'm trying to get at. But it's it's trying to figure out a creative way to push myself, to, to find, to access those moments of, of joy, to access those moments of facing my fears. Um, and I don't know what that next thing is in terms of athleticism. There's definitely a few, few ideas percolating in my mind that I haven't really fixated on yet, but definitely this idea of the whole reason that I started this was to do something greater than myself. Having raced triathlon professionally for a number of years after coming off this terrible burn injury was a, a dream come true. And that, but that was a very personal, personally satisfying dream come true. Um, but to get to a point where I could have this larger platform and have this impact not only for myself but with the kids um, was amazing. And the lessons I've learned from that is I want to keep, you know, working in that space. You know, that that's hugely gratifying for me to have to be helping these kids, to be inspiring these kids out there to to set goals for themselves. And so um, whatever I do athletically, we'll see. Um, but there's a 100 percent certainty in my mind that the continuation with uh, the work that I'm doing with kids and to, you know, get kids to. You know, unfortunately, in this country, we have a you know inactivity <laughs> epidemic. Yes, we do. Um, and so, to get kids just moving their bodies, being healthy, I think you know, healthy bodies, healthy minds, uh, you know, create so much more happiness and joy and success in this world. And so that I can just do my little part to inspire that is huge. So that's that's definitely my biggest focus as I move forward. Um, last question, just out of curiosity, which how how disciplined are you about your diet? Like, do you ever allow yourself to? Mow like a bunch of cookies or, <laughs> or uh, you know, eat cheeseburgers? Yeah, I'm a pretty disciplined guy when it comes to my diet. But that said, um, you know, having to be in uh, nine different expeditions on seven different continents in 139 days means you're talking about cuisine from all different types of the world. And we tried to control a lot of things with this project. Um, but we also had to let go of a lot of control with this project. You know, when as Jenna went through the logistics, it was like, hey, like, we can't just make sure that your perfect diet is like dialed in in all of these places. So funny enough, in preparation for this project, I actually kind of dirtied up my diet a little bit. So my dad's an organic farmer in Hawaii, just to give you context. You know, I could, you know, 
growing up, spent a bunch of time in his farm, you know, just eat completely from the earth, super healthy as healthy can be. So, you know, I can get into that mode and I love the way that my body feels when I'm eating that way. Um, but actually when I'm eating that clean and then I had to fly to some other part of the world and I can't control my diet, all of a sudden that could almost throw me around more because of the contrast of so clean to not so clean. Um, so throughout this project, I kind of had to have my body used to being able to eat freeze-dried meals at the North Pole and then fly to, uh, you know, Nepal and eat dalbat and then fly to, the, you know, Argentina and have, you know, the, someone throwing a steak my way. <laughs> um, so um, I am very disciplined, but um, I'm also, you know, I think everything in moderation, you know, including moderation. So I definitely, uh, you know, have a beer here and there. I definitely, you know, enjoy a burger coming off a mountain. So um, I'm not I'm not above, you know, those things like that. And those, those, I guess, maybe there's just simple joys in life, but sometimes you just got to eat a burger. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, uh, best of luck in whatever you do next. Best of luck in marriage, which I know is coming up for you. Best of luck in continuing your meditation practice, and big thank you for, uh, for doing this. Thanks for having me on the show, Dan. Where can people learn more about you? Uh, beyond seven two, so that's the name of this project, the Seven Peaks Two Poles. So beyond seven two dot com is the website. If you want to see uh, any sort of look back on blogs, videos, photos, everything that we've done, uh, check it out. And definitely, as our future endeavors will be up there, as well as uh, social media at beyond underscore seven two, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. So yeah, check it out, beyond seven two. Don't take it personally when I crush your world record. Yeah, I'm nobody, coming for you. Yeah, I can see it. See, like, so if you can do it, you're 45. You yeah. Know, so you know, maybe there's hope for me. As you know, even though you got me down on that, <laughs> the fact that I'm just a deteriorating <laughs> athlete over here. <laughs> Sorry to be a bummer. You're a good sport. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, there's another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please make sure to uh, subscribe, rate us. And uh, if you want to suggest topics we should cover or guests uh, we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. I also want to thank heartily the people who produce this podcast and really do pretty much all the work. Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, Sarah Amos, Andrew Kalb, Steve Jones, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. Uh, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. 
I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.